Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the DevThink Podcast with your host, Sean and... Nicola. Yes, and today we also have a special guest with us today. We have Onyx Alicia, who is a longtime QA veteran and who is here to talk us talk to us about a very interesting topic. Hi, Onyx. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey. hey. So we wanted to talk a little bit about QA, and the main thing that I'm curious about is everyone knows, all developers know, programmers are terrible at testing their own code. They'll write code, they'll say it's done, and QA will find a problem with it immediately. And it's kind of a big joke that developers aren't really like normal people. We don't think like humans anymore. And so uh, we want to get into a little bit about that. But first, just so people know why they should care about your opinion, how about you just tell us about your yourself a bit and your history in QA? Uh, so history about myself, I've been QAing for about 14 years now, I want to say. Uh, I started with video games. I've actually QA'd video games for 10 plus years and done some software on the side. And then now I'm with uh, apps. But once again, when the iPhones first appeared, we started doing those, but just game-related version, versions of it. So I was with Majesco Entertainment, which is no longer around. Uh, but I worked on uh, large titles like Cooking Mama and Zumba Fitness. Yeah, so when people hear, oh, you QA video games, obviously you just sit around and play video games all day, right? Yeah, that's uh, the misconception. It's like, and then the thing is like, oh, that's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, you think about playing the same game over and over again for 12 hours, f seven days a week. And so I was like, and and your job is, oh, today you, you have to walk on, into the walls, all the walls in Super Mario Brothers, walk into them and make sure you can't just fall out of the map. So... So it's not yeah, as it was, easy as you were most probably cool when you showed, you know, your friends, hey guys, you know, look what came into production. No, because I worked on little girls games most of the time. So it was like, oh, I wasn't cool to anybody. <laughs> Only to little girls. <laughs> so my nieces and stuff that they're old now, they're like in their 20s. So when they show them, they're like, oh, Onyx worked on this. So, But you did get to do things like go to E3 multiple times and you did hang out with people from nintendo and sony and things like this right yeah i got to meet a lot of people in the industry and then the other great thing about it was since i was so good i was always picked to hey we go to the dev house work with the developers side by side show them these issues get the issues and let's try to resolve them within a number of hours instead of because we worked a lot of times with people remotely like for example in the uk we work with zoe mode so we come into work they've already been working for five hours um, on basically, uh, when it's their five o'clock, we're halfway through with our day and they're done with their day. It's 5 p.m. over there. It's only 12 here. They're leaving. We're only halfway through. So, um, we find issues and it's that whole time gap a lot of times causes issues. So I got sent over there for a month and especially around the end of our project and just kink out anything that was appearing go in there in the morning i would show up an hour beforehand and this way if they had an issue with a certain certain bug on there that they didn't understand i could be like all right this is what you need to do because look it's interesting too because things get lost in translation and even though it's the uk and it's english and english it's still like the dialects and everything are 
I just remember flying over there for eight hour, you know, a 12-hour flight, showing them something in five minutes and being gone. And I was like, I'm going back to my hotel to sleep. And just hearing the one dev curse out. Like, he wasn't cursing at me. He wasn't cursing at... He was just cursing out how simple it was. And I was like, yeah, dude. And I read it step by step out of the bug details because I was like, I was like, I don't know if we missed something. Did we miss something? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't know. He, I guess he was just burnt by this point because he was like, I can't believe how easy this is. Because then he did it right afterwards, and he was like, I pulled off the same thing. So obviously, in video games, the things you said like you shouldn't be able to walk through walls, and the weapon should work against bosses and things like that. Is that all there is to it, or is there some? other aspects to it other than just the gameplay no there's a standards and guidelines that sony's microsoft and actually everybody has google has standards and guidelines um apple has standards and guidelines so if you're producing for somebody else on their platform so they will have standards and guidelines that you have to follow through uh for example the the, the apple one we know emojis so if we use their emojis they get all butthurt and you know it's 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 a fail against their standards and guidelines. So you cannot use Apple's emojis on your own app. So that's one right there. That's one of their standards and guidelines. Microsoft has one. My friend actually put one up on Twitter. He said destruction uh destruction of confirmation of destruction active uh action. So in a sense on Windows you could say delete this and no prompt comes up and it's like says, "Are you sure?" Because somebody just wiped something out, and he was like, "Yeah, it's funny how Microsoft's Xbox has a guideline for that, but their Windows does not." Nice, cool. So, uh, I'm actually interested in knowing, you know, what's quote unquote what's easier to test games, or since you're now in the uh, testing apps, what's easier? Um, the thing that has less guidelines is always easier. Because you don't have to remember any of the guidelines and you don't have to worry about like submitting. So like the apps have less guidelines than the games. The games are hundreds of pages of guidelines. So, um, the apps are easier because there's not that many guidelines that I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about certain, for example, certain things, uh, games can't load more than 15 seconds. It used to be 25, then dropped down to 15 seconds. Not 100% sure what it is now, but, on. Uh, we don't have a guideline that for our app. If our app has to take 25 seconds to load this certain section or whatever, it takes 25 seconds. It's not like Apple's going to deny us on it as long as we show like a loading screen or something. And that's not even a guideline on Apple. You have to show a loading screen on all like Microsoft, Sony and, and, and Nintendo. And it has to be an interactive loading screen. It can't just be a blank page there because then they, the user would think that the page is, uh, the, the app hung up on itself. Cool. So, so yeah, I find the apps are much easier. Cool. And how about enjoyable? It's uh, also like easy. It's also more enjoyable or not? No, I like the apps uh, also better. It's more enjoyable. Like I said, I didn't really work on, I worked on top tier games and stuff, but at the same time, the apps are constantly changing. That's a game title will not change. It's, this is what you're working on. This is what we see. And, and it's a year project sometimes to get it done. So you're actually working on the same thing over and over again for a whole year. And, and you could get, uh, like there's a couple of titles that I look back on and I'm like, wow, that's, it, it did well. But at the same time, it's just, 
it, it took a year of our time and going into work and be like, God damn, I have to work on this, this thing again. It's disheartening. That's the best word for it. It's disheartening because you don't want to work on it anymore. You don't want to, yeah. Yeah. So you to be clear, to s- you mentioned that you had worked for Majesco, which is no longer around. So Majesco was a publisher. They were not a game studio. So is there anything about working for a publisher that you wanted to share or anything else that we didn't ask you before we get on to the, the QA versus dev mindset? So like when you work for the publisher, one of the better things about the publisher is you what what you say in QA has more weight than if you were just a developer in the developing house. Because as the publisher, if you bring it up to the project manager, but it's uh, producers in, in, in video games. So you bring it up to the producer and you go, hey, you know, it would be better if you did this, this, this. Don't you think? And if he agrees with you and he's like, yeah, we're, we're the backers behind it. So it becomes like, yes. In a sense, it's like it, it becomes what we requested on it. And at the same time. When I would state something, hey, this doesn't work and this will fail Sony guidelines. If the developer came back and said, I w- there was no arguing. It was, we were in charge. So it was like, no, this is going to fail. You need to fix it. So it's more of a client relationship than an employee relationship. So they had to listen to you a bit. Yes. Excellent. All right. Nicola, anything else you want to add or ask? No, we're cool. All right. So I, I kind of led into this earlier, but... You know, developers, we write something and we're so happy that it finally works that we test it and we call it done. And when I say test, I mean, put in the input that we expect, see the output we expect and, you know, take a break. And then we give it to someone like Onyx and he finds all these bugs because, you know, they obviously hate us is how it can feel sometimes. So Come on, give us Sean, give us credit. We also write unit tests. Yeah, but the unit tests aren't as smart as Onyx, you know, because we we still write the test with the understanding of how they should work under the covers. So, Onyx, why are first of all, what is the difference between a way a QA tester tests the code versus a dev, and what is it about the way QA and de- and devs think? Is it something that you think we can learn? Is it a skill, or do you just think that because of our mindset as coders that we can't quite step out of that long enough to do what you do. Um, there's one thing I've noticed is, is it's no one's going to do that. And that's the mindset developers have. No one's ever going to do that. But it comes down to you have three fields. One's a phone number, one's a pin, and one's a, a email address. And you guys put in phone number, first one, pin, the second one, and email, the third one. Some guy comes in, he starts using it, he starts, he fills it in opposite. He puts his email in first, then he puts in the pin, and then he goes from the, uh, and then he puts in the phone number, and it doesn't work. You can't hit continue. And it's because when you tested it out, you tested it out the way you see it. One, two, three, I'm going, but this guy wanted to do three, two, one, or somebody who does two, two, one, three. And those are the aspects that you have to look at when you're in QA doing it different different ways checking it out this this way if any variable should be tested out and in a sense it's time consuming so you may start testing out one three different variables and then you're like ah, i'm not going to test out the rest no one's going to do this but that's what qa should be doing 
So if there's six different ways to input, uh, you know, six fields to input, we should try each way on there on inputting a field. Okay. So it sounds like if we put the time and attention into it, it's kind of straightforward. So someone could argue that there are businesses that create software that don't have QA and they write unit tests, as Nicholas said. Would you say that QA isn't necessary if you would just take the time in to do these? Or do you think QA is important to have at every business and that those who don't have it may be getting by, but they're missing out on something large? Or does it matter based on the size of the business? Well, and I think it more matters on also what you're QAing. So if you need someone to visually view items to, it's like, oh, we have unit tested on it and stuff. But how do you get the, how do you get the visual projection that you want to give the users and confirm it's proper? So like, for example, on, uh, uh different screen, for, uh, here's a good example. One of the games that first came out on the Xbox 360 was made for HD and HD models and it was the new HDness coming out. They didn't check the text. So if you had a standard definition screen, you couldn't read any of the prompts that came up on telling you how to play the game. So that was like one of the first games that had to get patched, I remember. You and make a on good, the three. Also, you do make a good point there that as developers, we often participate in the building of a product that two or three or more teams, you could have a front-end team, you could have a mobile team, you could have a back-end team, you know, artists and things. Each of us work on our own piece of it, but only once it gets out of our hands into maybe yours do you see the complete picture and the interactions among all those bits. Yeah. So um, you, you, unit testing you need, because unit testing actually breaks up, uh, for example, the variables. You can actually do that with unit testing. You can fill in all the fields and make, make sure everything goes in perfectly. But then... For me, there's a lot of times with QA that you actually need something visually inspected. And until we actually get robots to view this stuff, I still have a job. <laughs> and how about automation? Um, there are things like Selenium and other tools, including for like iOS and Android apps that let you do a series of clicks and things on the screen and record that so that you can play it back. How does that change things? Is that get you closer to automating your way out of a job or does that just free you up to work on some things that can't be automated um it frees you up for things that can't be automated and then at the same time so uh if you're using solarium and it's you know it's you you're using it and it's automated but then you do a web page design a whole new change you have to reprogram that and the thing about it is a lot of times no, that like what we're working on now is nothing static nothing stays so there's always going to be a change on it there's an upgrade towards it there's a difference so when we use one of these tools that's automated if it get if you do a change the automate, uh, automation will say hey this is where i have to press this that's no longer there so it just starts shooting back errors to you so hmm. it needs to be updated at the same time. But um, if there, if you have something that's constantly changing, then having the automation is just uh, – it's more – it's less efficient because now I have to program this. It's going to work for a week. I spent four hours programming it, making it work for its automate, automate, automation when it only takes me an hour and a half to actually test it. 
And then next week it comes up again. I got to change it four hours. So I'm looking at six hours of work on to get this thing to work on itself when it wouldn't take that long to actually physically test it. And some software, especially mobile apps for Android and iOS, you get people who installed it six months ago and have an old version and haven't upgraded. So you're actually responsible for multiple different versions simultaneously, unlike a web app or a video game where there's a release and that's the release. No one can be using the old one. So what... How does that affect things? Um, it affects us on, like it affects us more of when an issue is found actually from a user's po- standpoint, and you have no idea what version they're on because it's not stated, it's not brought to your attention. So you just know that user has so and so complaint, and you try to reproduce the issue, and it's. And you can't reproduce it. And it's much horrid also when you do find out that it's on so-and-so version. And then you're like, okay. And there's, you know, if they're on an older version and there is a way for them to update, then really when it comes all the way into the QA section, it's like, uh, why haven't they updated? And there's the reason of like, why didn't they update? And then, because like, I don't feel like, it comes to us and it's not really a, a an issue. I'm like, they, they should update. They should have the newest version of the app, which will have the newest features. And that bug isn't in the newest, the newest version that's out. So, cause the first thing you want to do is check, check if it's in production. Is it hmm. on our current version? Yes, it is. Oh, make a ticket. Let's write about it. You know, let's get it fixed somehow. Cool. Uh, so actually, I have a few questions now. So as Onyx, actually, as Sean touched on it, uh, you know, there seems to be this disparity between, you know, the devs and the QA and whatnot. So, and I would actually say that ever since you came on board, ours is really good. So can you share, you know, a few tips with us in terms of how to basically make, you know, Q&A and devs be more like, I'm going to say, quote unquote, friends. You know, how they will work better together. The best way is understand that everyone makes mistakes. So, for example, when I started doing QA, there was, uh, I forgot, oh, the company, they're not, they're no longer around. So, Terminal Reality had a picture of one of my friends in their office and they threw darts at it because he was a QA (laughs) guy. And because they hated him so much for writing bugs. And at the same time is my friend has a high standard of good quality. So they were angry at him for that point of view. But it, it's transferred over a couple of times. So we use, um, you know, bug tracking software. And sometimes on there, since when I got into management already, I will have to speak to devs on it. And it's like, hey, um, please refrain from cursing or adding insults on the comments. Cause, uh, one time, like I said, people make mistakes. We had this one developer, great guy and all. And he said there was 365 days in the year or 360. Yeah. You know, so he was off. It was like, uh, it's, I think it was like he was stated 366. So he was off. He was off on the calendar on there. And, you know, the QA guy was like, Hey, the calendar says this. And, the comment on there, this isn't a bug. Go check a calendar. F and F and F and. And I was like, hey, dude, you're, you're wrong. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, calm down a little bit. And please thing. And I ended up meeting him like a month later and he was a great guy. And I all, it's just, you, you, you get tied to what you're doing. Like no matter what, you know, if, for example, you paint a room and somebody comes over and goes, Ooh, who painted this? And you just spent six hours on this. <laughs> you take it personal. So, um, that's the thing about like the whole death thing is it's horrid because you're in QA and you're going, Hey, this is broken. This is broken. And that's all you hear. This is broken. This doesn't work. You know, you know, if you, and, and, and I can see where being on the dev side, you could be like, ah, oh, this guy's the jerk. But, yeah. Did you uh, ever hear if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? Uh huh. But it's, a, it's, a, we're not, we're not picking on you specifically. We're just saying this doesn't work and right. the app. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so like you mentioned your process. Do you like have some, you know, checklists that you go through or, you know, how does basically your process of QAing look like? Uh, uh, the checklist for me is constantly evolving. It's like, all right, I want to check this. I want to check this. Uh, my checklist is usually come in, check out, uh, do we have a new build? Yes. Do we have anything to regress on this build? Yes. So like f that's pretty much what... I was taught and I want to teach everybody else. And it's the first thing. It's like, we got a new build regression. First confirmed that everything was in the, the current build that stated was fixed is fixed. Is it fixed? No, let's move. Why isn't it fixed? Move on and then start your process on your test suites. What are you testing on there? And your test suites should actually run in a sense of what's the most prioritized functions in your app. So, for example, if if you have an app that's supposed to tell the time, then the stopwatch is second to that. So, it telling the time should be the first priority that you test. Then it's stopwatch, and then it's countdown counter. So, you want to work your way that way. So, this way you find the main issues that you have for its main functionality. If there's any issues there, you can address them first. Instead of leaving them for all the way last on, on a build. Cool, cool. Uh, from your experience, did you see like uh, like th through the course of your career, did you have to like learn few languages in order to test something like more, or you know, um, did you ever had to you know kind of like program something you know, or was this not the case? Um, yeah, we did have to program certain things, but a lot of the times it's, so like in the video game industry, we had to learn the tools. Basically, you need to learn the tools that you're going to be using for testing. And it comes with, uh, when you're on, on mobile apps, anything that you're working on that you, you need to find out its tools and how to run with it. So for example, on iOS, we need to know how to use Xcode on there. For Android, I have the Android Studios on there, and I've been running with it back and forth, back and forth. Um, there was different tools for Nintendo. Some of them they did not give to you. They just gave you uh, the program file, the ELF file for it, and you had to program it yourself. So we got learned how to do that. And the interesting part. So, and then Microsoft had it. Microsoft uses Visual Basics that connects a lot of times with their SDK. So we had to learn how to use their SDK. So um, certain companies like that, they'll give you tools. 
But at the same time, too, working where I'm at now, it's you request tools. Hey, can you make this tool? Can you do this? Can you, you know, this tool will help QA and help TS and help uh, whoever needs to technical support, customer service. Because you, you need to request certain tools, especially if you're in a large industry where you do have a customer service. Uh, just because the dev house is actually creating an app for the customers, if you're having customer service represent these customers, sometimes they need a tool to address issues that come to them. And, you know, so, yeah, I did learn. Actually, I learned a lot on Nintendo's and Microsoft's project. Sony was actually really good on having basically GUIs already made for you to do everything that you needed to do. Cool, cool. And I'm just curious, you know, uh, since you guys had to do this, were there anyone who was like, oh, you know what, this programming is so cool? And did they like, you know, maybe, quote unquote, fell in love in that and maybe explored that area more or, you know... No, not in um, our testings and stuff. So not within our house, because uh, their their programs made for the tools are made to break stuff, to make sure things are uh, are working properly. So, for example, uh, Nintendo has its own file structure for its internal storage. So you can't just say, "Hey, I want to fill up the storage on this to see what happens." You actually have to use one of their tools to do it. So. See, that's so, a great point yeah. there. Um, something yeah, that a yeah. developer would never think to do is test their code with a hard drive that's full. <laughs> like, we would just never think of that. So, yeah. Because so, um, if you think about it, uh, it's just the title might have some type of the app or the title might have some type of saving cap- capacity, even if it's just saving your profile and then filling it all up. And... What happens when it goes, save this. Oh, I can't save it. What does the app do now? Does it say, hey, does it give back the user a message saying, I'm sorry, the, the storage on this device is full. Does it crash? Does it, you know, does it just time out? It stays there hanging. So, because cool. everyone just assumes we always have a uh, space. There's enough space for it. Right. It's and only a couple kilobytes save file. How could you possibly not have enough space for that? Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so I just have like, one rep. Go oh, good. No, I was gonna say like Nintendo has actually Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony actually have that in their standards and guidelines. They'll tell you this is how you have to do it. This is what you need to test and test it with this much uh, information. And it's interesting because Nintendo does by blocks, so you have to make sure because apparently some Nintendo's interesting on their testing guidelines because they'll tell you, hey, do this. This way, this way, and this way. So you have to test it with, if your game uses four blocks, you have to test to make sure two blocks doesn't save, three blocks saves, and, uh, well, what was it saying? Four blocks is a thing. So you have to do one less, one with, and one more. Because they found someone, they have tests, and they the reason they make these tests is because someone found an issue that way. So, for example, they have the cat test. And that's if your device is vibrating when you press the pause screen, uh, your controller or whatever, and you press pause when it's vibrating, it shouldn't vibrate anymore. The controller should stop because apparently someone did this back for back in probably the 90s 
put the controller on the coffee table. The co- controller was vibrating, fell off, and hit their cat. And that's why they call it the cat test. Nice. That's a good one. Okay, so I do have one wrap-up question, and that is, as a developer, what piece of advice would you give from a QA professional to help us write fewer bugs? Like, we want to hear less from you. We want to get fewer tickets from you. What can we do? Um, you know, that's 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 hard because at the same time, it's like, oh, you know what you could do? You could look at your stuff over and over again and then send it to us. And I'm like, no, but it's it's I've been doing this long enough that I'm like, no, I want you to like build stuff and bring it back to me. And then it's, it's just easier for me to say, hey, build this wall, get it done. And then I'll come back and go, you know what? This is uneven here a little bit. Can you fix this? And it's like, yeah, sure. I could do it because at the same time is you look at something and it's just review, review, review is what we do in QA. We inspect and review and check everything out and stuff. So if you're doing that, you're not building anything new. So you can't, you know, you're, you can, but your, your time is more consumed on it. That's great because it kind of sounds like what you're saying is that QA isn't just the monkeys in the corner that do testing next to the monkeys in the other corner that do programming. You're actually an integral part of the development process along with the product managers and the rest of the company. So it's not just testing. You're kind of in the the product management uh, umbrella. Um, That's how we were. And yeah, that's in a sense, it depends on where you're working, I guess, and stuff. But in a sense, what you we're trying to build something here, and at the same time is, you guys, developers are the builders, and we want this built as quickly as possible so we could maximize you know our user base and get profit on everything. And if you build it too quickly, you come across a number of issues. But then there's also dev cycle hell that I've noticed. Where something stays in development for such a long time and it gets hyped up and then when it finally comes out, you're like, wow, this was not what it was expected. Uh, you know, we spent four years developing this. I'm like, oh, you spent two years more than you should have and it's not <laughs> that great. So, um, but gee, I just, I feel like if, if the developer spends majority of his time QAing the item there's a lot of time that just things don't pop up within five minutes and even when you do come across an issue it may take you two hours to figure out why is it doing this how did i come across this uh this issue so um having a one of the better things too is having a great memory how did i get here is because basically when you hit that that one issue that bug it's how did i get here so you have to remember everything that you did beforehand and start doing the process of elimination, going back and destroying that, destroying that, just knocking everything down so you could get back to that bug. Because your whole point is to get to that bug. Now, um, when it comes to the developer, I think if you come across a bug, uh, one of the things is, is it comes to how can I fix this? And it's like, no, how, how did you get there first? Find out mm. how you got there, what caused it, and then you, you might have a better understanding of fixing it. Okay, so you need to be able to replicate bugs, which we definitely agree with. Um, you do yeah. uh, agree with what is the typical uh, DevOps position of deliver early and often, 
because you don't want anything to get stale and go bad. And the the memory is what a new one I had not heard before. You got to be able to backtrace your steps so that you can duplicate it. So thanks. Yeah, that's a, a great thing. So part of the answer to how we can uh, maybe deal with you less is don't worry about it. Do your job. Let me do my job. And the product gets out there quicker and better quality. Yeah, don't, don't don't get too upset about it. It's just like a, it like I said, it is disheartening because it's like you're building something and someone comes over and goes, yeah, that you know this is broken over here, and it's like no, we we expect that. Now I just want to say that like, I worked construction before uh, getting into QA, and I remember one time walking into the room and my friend was like, he was like something's wrong here, and he's just we're in the room and we're looking at it and we're like. And then he goes, where's the window? We drywalled over the window. <laughs> so the room didn't have a window. And, and, and the foreman for it was like, oh, my God. So we went outside and we looked at it and there was like drywall where the window was supposed to be at. <laughs> so um, nice. that that's qa you know? So Yeah. My position is always I, I love it when QA finds something because that's one thing that the customer didn't find. And as a developer – one of the very worst things, in my opinion, is when you find out from your boss that a customer had a bad experience. Yeah, I hate it when the customer finds something, especially if it's like something glaring or something easy. And even I hate it when the product manager finds something. I'm like, damn it. I missed that. That's what it is. It's always I missed that. I missed that. I, you know, how could I let that pass by me? So, um, well, yeah, that's a... Uh, uh, that should be like our whole like for anyone who's in QA when something gets by them and gets to like a customer or even gets to the PM, it's like uh oh it it should be a a point against you in a sense. It's it's for me. I'm like how can I let that go get through? All right, so the QAs are a bunch of goalies. Got it. Uh, so I came actually across an interesting question, and that is like uh from one guy that i follow you know on the internet and he had a topic of you know when is the right time to move from qa to development so i'm you know honestly uh i did listen to his part and i know why is he saying this because he's uh like aiming his all his answers and basically his channel towards software developers so you know his standpoint was you know asap <laughs> but you know from I really want to see your point on the topic. So, like, my thing about it is quite interesting. I think that if you got into QA or you are in QA, most likely you don't want to do dev. But at the same time, if you want to do dev development and you're like, oh, I'm going to go into QA to get my foot in the door, you, if you're a developer and you already code, great. If you don't, then I really don't think like I I feel it's it, for me I I've been like oh I'm gonna learn how to code and I learn simple things so I can recognize code when something's a little off but at the same time to fully code is not what I'm trying to pursue myself right now and I think that in a sense if you want to dev be a developer. Putting yourself going, oh, I'm going to go into QA first as a stepping stone type deal. No, I think you should go full blast and learn how to code and become a developer. 
not do okay. the whole QA thing beforehand. That it's not really a stepping stone because it's two different views of viewing stuff. So in, for example, in development, you look at stuff and you go, this is what I'm building and this is how it should work. In QA, I look at this is built and where is it broken? It's a different viewpoint on the same product. So, and, and going from, all right, this is already built. Where can I find flaws or something broken on there or bug on it? To, I want to build this and I want to be, have it built and be out there. It's okay. two different viewpoints. So, yeah, there's no stepping stone or direct path between the two. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I've been doing this for like 15 years. So, like, I do not see where it's like, oh, you know, you from QA, you get a good, you could do, cause even, uh, I start, I was coding like two weeks ago. I was coding something. I spent like three hours QAing what I coded more than, <laughs> and probably 30 minutes of coding it. I was like, all right, this is broken. And then, and, and then I went off on a whole different QA rant on it, testing stuff out. So cool. I actually have one more question, which you, uh, briefly touched on. And it's, um, you mentioned that you worked with remote developers. I mean, I knew, know that you, now you also work with remote developers. Can you tell me, like, uh, is it harder to work with them? And, uh, since I would say that the answer is yes, but of course you can tell me yes or no. And in that case, what are some kind of like, uh, tips that actually can improve that? No, I didn't think it was harder to work with like the remote devs and stuff, but like every, almost every dev house I worked with was remote, except uh, I think there was one dev house here in New Jersey that pretty much everyone that we worked with was in a different time zone. So it wasn't much harder or like, for example, I, I worked with actually a testing house in India. Uh, on a number of occasions too there. I worked with Japanese developers where things got lost in translation. And, uh, the only hard part about it is actually being up at like three o'clock in the morning because it's three o'clock in the afternoon in Japan and you're on just speaking to them via email too. So it's just email prompt, email prompt, email prompt back that I think that was like the one of the hardest things. Because I just remember once going to work and it was Wednesday and I was like, I, I, I'm to my boss. I'm like, I'm going home. I'm exhausted. I don't know why I'm so tired. And then the product manager comes up and he goes, cause you've been emailing, um, the developers in Japan till three o'clock in the morning for the past five days. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. So, but I don't think it's hard. It's, um, communication is always great. Always having that, making sure everything's written so you can, understand because like one thing i always stated though is for when speaking to a developer you can't just point out and go the bathroom's over there so when writing a bug always be detail don't point and hey the bathroom's there no go down the stairs make a right make a left open the door unzip your zipper everything i was like detail to detail for writing bugs from my perspective, I definitely agree. That's something that, you know, is so much helpful. And also one thing that we do, and I hope we can say this, uh, which I found so much helpful is, uh, the thing that we called, you know, build reviews where we get together and we basically in few minutes, you know, simple chat, we go together, 
through the uh, bugs that were found and we just make sure that we kind of like both understand each other and to me like honestly that's king that was very valuable yeah we used to have that all the time for uh the zumba projects we used to do it every day also so because like since they were a five hours difference at the end of their day or it was yeah it was 12 o'clock for us so it was always around their end of day we would go we would have a review bug review and hey, uh, this issue, how long is it going to take to address? And they're like, oh, we're working on it right now or we're not working on it. Why is it really a big problem? And having everybody understand why we want this fixed is also great. And then even understanding of, because at the same time, an issue gets addressed. And unless you have on your issue tracker some type of priority measure on there where it's like high, medium, low, the developer, you, like you, you don't know, oh, do I need to fix this right now? Does it, you know, so having that discussion at the end of the day of bug reviews or bug triage is great because it's like, oh, yeah, this is an issue. But at the same time, it's in the settings all the way in the legal section. It's, you know, it's something that five users out of the 5,000, 500,000 are may see and we'll have a fix for the next um app update or something like that so awesome thank you you're welcome excellent all right well thanks for coming on the show and maybe we'll have you on another one uh soon it was good thank you thanks guys all right bye, bye everybody Thank you for listening to the DevThink Podcast. To reach us for comments, show suggestions, and other feedback, contact us at info at devthink. That's D-E-V-T-H dot I-N-K. Our intro music is by Rupa Deadweiler. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast.